oh, we should go to this networking event or we need to do this startup meetup. It's like, no, you don't. What you need to do is talk to your potential customer, figure out you know, how to solve it, be as close to the customer as possible. If I'm the owner of a business and I'm looking at my numbers and I've performed $200,000 you know, worth of dental work in the last year that I haven't been paid on, um, that's a problem. Um, and so we realized that a big reason for that wasn't because patients were truly trying to skip out on their bill. It was that the way that they were being presented their bill, the way they were being notified, the request were just painful. You get a, you know, you get a letter in the mail, people move a lot. I don't really read my mail that carefully, right? Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of Ship It and Sip It. My name is John and I'm here with Jeff Cole, who is the CEO at Pearly.co. He's a serial founder and entrepreneur, and he's been partnered with Parallax since around 2015. So we've got a lot to cover, but we won't go into detail on the whole history. I want to talk about Pearly and the first company he had together with us and what he's learned along that journey. So how are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. Um, I guess let's talk about Pearly. Can you give us the sort of elevator pitch and also... Where did the inspiration come from for the idea? Yeah, sure. So, you know, Pearly, we make dental revenue cycle management software, which sounds like quite the mouthful, but effectively, you know, with healthcare in the U.S. and specifically in the dental industry, you know, the billing and the financial experience for patients, but then also the, you know, administrative tedious tasks of figuring out insurance and patient payments. Um, is really painful for both, you know, patients as well as the practices. So what we do is, you know, our software platform, we primarily work with groups and DSOs, which are basically multi-location dental practices. Um, And we really help them kind of do three main things, you know, leverage our software to run sort of that end-to-end revenue cycle, um, really helping them, you know, collect more money faster, which improves cash flow saving their team and their staff a lot of time and then ultimately you know making the patient experience much more modern Um, and you know you'd asked about inspiration really my co-founder and i you know we had a previous company in the healthcare space and and our sort of passion is how can we make you know healthcare better Um, and especially on some of the operational and business side um, it can feel a little bit outdated compared to, um, you know, many um, other industries. And so, you know, got a dental bill, didn't understand it. It was a huge pain. I had to mail in a check. It just felt like, you know, we're not living in the 1980s. Um, you can go online and pretty much buy anything. Um, so we really set out to, you know, and in, in seeing that a lot of dental practices had been investing in terms of more kind of patient engagement, so being able to book online, you know, getting a text message appointment reminder. Um, But when it came to the financial side of things, that's really where it still felt stuck and outdated. You know, it was a lot of paper statements, a lot of clunky online payment portals. So we really looked and started digging in and saying, okay, you know, how can we, you know, not only help our practice customers, you know, save time and have you know, better collection and financial metrics, but also make the patient feel like they are going to, you know, a modern up-to-date practice and, you know, paying for dental care or finding a, you know, flexible pay over time plan is as seamless as, you know, buying something online. 
Um, you know, there's, for example, you know, sometimes paying your $100 dental bill um, can take you a really long time in terms of finding a check. And, you know, as a result, it just, the bill sits on your counter. You're happy to pay it, but you don't because you ran out of stamps and you don't know where your checks are. Um, you know, and from, you know, that perspective, that obviously impacts the dental practices not being able to collect. And then on the patient side, you know, it should be as easy for me to, you know, receive a text message, be able to understand what and why I owe for my dental care and be able to, you know, click and pay with Apple Pay. Um, so kind of a long-winded answer, but really what, what our focus on is, you know, how can we make the dental billing and payments process better and more modern? Um, you know, while ultimately improving the patient experience, but, you know, from our kind of direct customers who are the dental practice, you know, streamlining their operations and making them more efficient. We talk a lot about uh, product validation in the early stages. So for you guys at Pearly, what were some of the factors that indicated that this uh, product was in demand? Uh, were you doing a lot of talks with dental practices? What did that process look like? Yeah, we fortunately have some great advisors, Fred Joyle and Gary St. Dennis, who've been in the dental industry for, you know, decades. They founded 1-800-DENTIST. And, you know, so we knew that um, there were challenges. We started by speaking with actually several several dental practices, but also several dental consultants. So there's um, a few large consulting groups in the industry where, um, you know, think about them as they'll come and help with the business side. So, you know, a dental consultant maybe works with a handful of dental offices help them with metrics and management, understanding it. And through working with one of these um, dental consultants, we actually built our sort of first version um, was just for them to offer their customers. And through that process, you know, we sort of uncovered some of these problem areas um, and specifically on the revenue side and what we really, you know, figured out, um, I think like any entrepreneur trying to build, you know, business, there's so much you want to do, right? We said, wow, we know the full end-to-end -end revenue cycle management, you know, through some innovation and, you know, software, and importantly for us, integrating with their practice management system in a really deep and novel way. We really think we can, you know, solve and automate a lot of this end-to-end. -end. But when you're starting out, you don't have the resources to do it. So we said, hey, let's, you know, let's really dig into a couple of the pain points that we think we could solve. Um, and so what we were you know, hearing about a lot um, and kind of, you know, our first couple um, features and products were first um, in-house membership. So um, a large percentage of the U.S. does not have dental insurance. I mean, I think it's 25 or 30 percent. Um, and dental practices were struggling with patients coming in. So we introduced our membership product. So if you're a dental practice, someone does not have insurance, you could come in and say, hey, you know, for $300 a year, for $25 a month, um, you know, you can have a direct membership relationship with us to get your two cleanings. Um, but a lot of these membership programs have been around for, you know, decades now. Um, we found they're managed a lot on Excel spreadsheets, um, trying to remember renewal dates, sort of your typical kind of, you know, file paper cabinet. So that was our first product that we launched. And then, you know, after we started working with dental practices, they said, this is so great. You know, one big benefit of the, of the membership program is, you know, for cleanings and kind of more, um, you know, routine preventative care, I don't need to deal with the AR, the accounts receivable, meaning the money that the patient owes after they've already left the office. 
So we started digging in there and we'd heard this was an issue, but we didn't honestly realize it was such an acute pain point in terms of having past due patient balances and how do you collect them once they left the office. And that's primarily driven for insurance. So then we started getting into what I call post-visit billing. Um, so you come into the office, maybe there's a copay amount, it's challenging to estimate insurance. Fast forward, the insurance claim comes back, you know, 60 to 90 days later in some cases, and you owe $27. And you get a paper statement and you're like, well, I already paid in the office. You know, insurance is confusing. Do I actually owe this? And, you know, fast forward from an individual office seeing, let's say, you know, 14 patients a day times a large group that has 50 offices. Suddenly you run into a situation where you are carrying, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in past due accounts receivable. And that's really sort of was the key for us where we realized um, with these larger groups, um, that's really kind of where the light bulb went on, where the dental industry is consolidating. Um, there's more and more, um, you know, multi-location ownerships. And that's where we were seeing some big gaps where you could have two identical offices, A and B, both with similar patient bases, both with similar production, and yet their collection metrics were wildly different. You know, well, why is that? Well, it's mainly staff driven. It's hard to hire and, and run great people. So Office A maybe, you know, has a 98% collection rate and is doing great. Well, that's because, you know, Nancy at the front desk or the, you know, the office manager has a really great process. But at Office B, maybe there was some turnover with, you know, the office manager, the financial coordinator, and Bob comes in and he has a million things on his plate and chasing down past due balances isn't a priority. You know, fast forward six months, you have a really big problem. You know, you, you are not collecting on money for work that you've already performed. So that was kind of, um, I think, our sort of, I, I'd say, like, interest or factor was that. Um, there's a lot of different components of the dental revenue cycle. Um, we found specifically that, you know, on the AR collection side, that was a really, you know, acute pain point. While membership and some of the other features we have, you know, are very additive to the business. But, you know, with startups, you hear about, you know, making a painkiller, not a vitamin. And when you're sitting there and, if you know, not even on the group side, but let's say on the individual practice side, if I'm the owner of a business and I'm looking at my numbers and I've performed $200,000, you know, worth of dental work in the last year that I haven't been paid on, um, that's a problem. Um, and so we realized that a big reason for that wasn't because patients were truly trying to skip out on their bill. It was that the way that they were being presented their bill, the way they were being notified, the requests were just painful. You get a, you know, you get a letter in the mail, People move a lot. I don't really read my mail that carefully, right? And and then I see, okay, fine, I owe, you know, $52 or whatever it is. It sits on my counter. I'm happy to pay it. What I was saying earlier, you know, you mail in a check, the way in which you pay really matters. So we had the insight of if we could dig into the ledger details of the practice management system, put some workflow automations, and really a bit of that 80-20 rule where um, you know, the office staff should be really focused on speaking with patients through difficult billing or insurance challenges, right, or answering questions, not just like making call after call, not, you know, just mailing statement after statement, 
So we really, um, you know, kind of built our system on how can we automate this? And there's sort of a lot under the hood and able to do that successfully. And we sort of had that first indication of seeing, you know, how much we're able to collect while also how much time we're able to see, uh, save from our early customers. Um, and then that just really continued to magnify as we, um, you know, worked with more and more dental offices. We realized that, you know, this was a pretty big problem, um, you know, for a large percentage of the dental, um, you know, dental world and, you know, really starting from early on where, hey, we just sent out, you know, our first five digital statements and, you know, two of them got paid within five minutes. That was like, wow. And now, you know, we send out 200 plus thousand a month. Um, but those same trends have really held true. And that sort of gave us the spark of, <clears throat> you know, we knew that, um, you know, there's a lot of ways we could improve the revenue cycle. But um, I think more importantly, you know, being able to go in and solve that very specific problem and expand from there really became our strategy. Yeah, that's a great start. And uh, from, from everything I've heard about the product from the team here, you guys are, are, are making leaps and bounds and a lot of progress already. Uh, and, and that whole story, just I've been living outside the U.S. for the last seven years or so. So I forgot what a mess, honestly. <laughs> The, the billing cycle is in the in the medical and dental industries there. Uh, but I'm glad that smart people like you are working on, on better solutions for it. Uh, let's dive into the, your background a little bit. The first product that you guys built with Parallax uh, was called Path. We have a case study on Parallax's website. You can go check that out if you want to hear the full story. But uh, just from you, can you share some highlights from that experience? And uh, was it your first startup? Yeah, my first startup. So, you know, I was 25 probably. And uh, Sean Ember and I, Sean's my co-founder and CTO who works, you know, sort of the most closely with Parallact, um, was also in the, um, you know, the healthcare field. We started off realizing, you know, how could we at the time, um, you know, skilled nursing chains in home care, um, you know, more in the senior living space was, you know, parents looking to, um, you know, move uh, or adult children looking to move in their parent. There was a lot of discussion. A lot of it happened over phone calls. Um, you know, these larger, um, you know, skilled nursing, um, you know, groups were looking to how can we streamline some of that, you know, customer communication in a HIPAA compliant manner. And, you know, HIPAA is the, um, you know, regulatory guidelines in the US. So we, you know, said, hey, how can we, you know, leverage kind of your traditional live chat, leverage in some, um, you know, AI and, and chat, you know, it, it's that's obviously come very far since then, very basic back when we did it. But even in terms of, you know, being able to screen and, and qualify, um, you know, potential, um, you know, patients or potential caregivers, also on, you know, hiring caregivers, you know, we automated some of the job. Um, you know, questionnaires. Um, and then through that, we actually um, uh, ended up having some white label partners to so sort of other industry partners who, you know, sold into other types of verticals that would, you know, sort of leverage our software on the back end, you know, put their name on it. Um, and then through that, um, you know, growing, kind of growing that up, what was different versus Perly is we were sort of, you know, we had sort of one product, worked really well, sold it in, you know, we were helping, um, you know, improve that communication. Um, and then, um, you know, ended up getting approached by kind of a large um, customer experience software company based out of Arizona 
um, thought they were going to be a partner. Turned out they were, you know, looking for an acquisition. We decided, you know, that sort of made made sense, um, you know, at the time, kind of good first win going from thinking of, you know, the idea to bring it up through acquisition. And, um, you know, that was that was kind of the what we what we ended up doing. Yeah, and you mentioned obviously how popular AI-based chats are, products based on AI. Uh, do, do you ever wish you kind of stuck in that niche? Was there any regret there? No, I'd say I I wouldn't say that the you know regret comes from AI. What we did, I think, for our first companies, we had a really great product, but where you know myself and my co-founder Sean were very much more you know, product people, we were not as strong on, you know, building out a sales team, bringing in the marketing. And as soon as our uh, company was acquired, the acquirer was really good at that. And they were able to, you know, significantly increase our product sales. That's like, oh, I should, we should have done more, you know, sales and that type of thing. Um, I think now it's like a really, you know, obviously most interesting time probably in history um, regarding AI, but we would have, uh, you know, we were, we sold our company back in 2018. So we would have been, uh, waiting around a while until that came out. But um, so I'd say more, you know, first company, um, you know, learned a lot, did a lot of things well, did a lot of things poorly. Um, but yeah, kind of specifically on the, you know, AI chat product, probably that would have, we would have, we would have spun our wheels for too long. But now I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's really cool to kind of feel like we had sort of identified that as an area that should be better. And, and, you know, now there's obviously way better technology around it than frankly, we had even really envisioned at the time. Right on. And so can you expand a little bit on some of the challenges you faced with the first product path and maybe what, what did you learn from those that made uh, Pearly a bit easier going? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, first time entrepreneurs, you know, you read different things or, you know, you have an idea of what a startup is going to be like and and probably focus on too many things. I'd say I think focus is really the big thing. It's hard to, you know, build a company, you know, invent a new product, <clears throat> distribute that product. So what, you know, we we really did was, I think, with Path, trying to almost do too many different things that didn't really matter at that stage. So oh, we should go to this networking event or we need to do this startup meetup. It's like, no, you don't. What you need to do is talk to your potential customer, figure out, you know, how to solve it, be as close to the customer as possible. And really, um, I think that's the biggest thing is thinking, oh, we need to have, um, you know, in our early office, this is how startup offices look like. doesn't matter. You know, none of that matters. So certainly for Pearly this time around, we were, I'd say much more focused on the things that move the needle at a given stage, you know, and, and those, and, you know, those areas obviously change, you know, now we've grown the team with Pearly, we do more, you know, company culture and events and that stuff. But when it's, you know, two people sitting on a desk next to each other and mending something, it's like all we should be doing is talking to our customers, iterating on the product, you know, listening to the feedback, um, I'd say we've also gotten more, um, you know, metrics driven um, and, and being very thoughtful about, you know, what those specific KPIs are, not just from the business, but also from demonstrating product value. So, you know, if we are working with, let's say, five early customers, how do we know if the product is being successful? So really, you know, working closely with those early customers up front to kind of predefine what success looks like. And then, you know, being able to, you know, through like a pilot say, okay, you know, 
for Pearly, for example, you know, we've talked about, you know, what you're struggling with is some, you know, 90 plus do AR or, you know, your team is spending a large percentage of the time on outreach. Okay, so we're going to look at like how much of this outreach can we automate? Um, how much time are you spending doing this? Um, you know, and putting a number on it. And on the collection side, okay, let's look at what, you know, your status quo is. Now let's implement Pearly, you know, let our, you know, software run, make the tweaks and adjustments, and then be able to revisit that and really prove out that value case. So I'd say probably the, the two biggest things are, you know, just focus, say no to a lot more <laughs> um, stuff early on, um, as well as, um, you know, really trying to, um, you know, what we worked on was really trying to define, you know, what what success of the product looks like that can be, you know, measurable and understand, you know, why are two customers having potentially having different experiences? Um, you know, is it a product issue? Is it an onboarding issue? Is it an ease of use issue? Um, and then just doing that again and again and again and again. And then, you know, the product kind of becomes, you know, better a lot faster. Very cool. And given that you did have a successful exit with Path, um, what what drove you back to to startup building? Was it a pretty immediate feeling that you wanted to start something again? Uh, was it the hatred of the idea of working for someone else? Uh, <laughs> what, what was your motivation then? So after our company was acquired, you know, we joined the company. Um, bought us, you know, we, it was, you know, obviously a much larger, more mature company. Um, and so I learned a lot, honestly, the first year or so was great. You know, a lot of um, new learnings moving into a more corporate environment where I'm not, you know, thinking of ideas or talking to customers as much, but, you know, presenting board slides or doing like high level strategy. Um, you know, I ended up becoming the VP of product there. Um, and it was, was really great. Um, you know, worked with some awesome people. And I think after about a year, I was like, okay, like, I like that, or, you know, I like the kind of the, the zero to one phase, if you will, um, you know, and, and, and frankly, too, I think a big driver of it was, um, I did have so many, you know, learnings from the first company where it is a skill set where I said, oh, man, yeah, if I, if I did, I just found myself saying, like, if I do another company, I'm going to do XYZ different, you know, um, and so, you know, that's really, I think for me, just personally, I just love building things when I'm not building, um, you know, pearly during the week on the weekend, I do home improvement projects or build outdoor furniture. Like I just enjoy building. Um, and obviously, you know, you can, you can do that in, in a more corporate environment, but, you know, I just, I think that I always knew, um, love starting it. So we, when we, you know, left the company. Sean and I both took time off. We kind of did, you know, a sabbatical, traveled around. It was lovely. We actually, my wife and I got back um, from Australia, like I think two or three weeks before COVID lockdown. And then, um, you know, and through that time, we just realized we wanted to do it again. For me too, you know, having, um, you know, Sean, who, you know, we, it, the first time around, we, you know, worked well together. We said, hey, let's, let's do this again. You know, we're, we're a little smarter and wiser at this time. Um, and, and so that really drove it, you know, I'd say kind of combination of enjoying building and feeling like I, you know, would, would be sort of smarter and more efficient second time around. 
Yeah, right. And I, I did have a follow-up question now that you've mentioned Sean a couple times, and this is your second startup with him. People talk a lot about you know drama or, or tension between co-founders. Um, do, do you guys have any sort of like, what do you think makes it work between you two? I think a lot of it is time and just comfortable. So Sean and I were actually freshman year roommates at Princeton. So we've known each other since we were, you know, 18. And we were, you know, friends throughout college, not, you know, best friends. And then, you know, I knew he was um, you know, a great engineer and working in San Francisco at the time. So I kind of said, hey, you want to come down to Santa Barbara for a weekend and listen to this crazy idea I have? And he said, sure, let's do it. Um, I think a big thing is, is, you know, communication. It's, it's like a marriage or any significant other, um, you know, you need to learn how to work through conflict. So first time around, Sean and I, you know, we'd, we'd scream at each other. We'd be hard on each other. We'd, you know, get pissed off at each other. Um, and then I think over time you just realize, you know, we both share the same values, both share the same goals. It's mostly communication issues, right? Um, especially, um, you know, just, just early on when you're making decisions, you know, it's not just, Hey, Sean, build this feature. It's, you know, Hey, we talked to this customer. This is how I'm thinking about it. What do you think? Yep. This makes sense to, you know, reprioritize part of our roadmap, for example. So I think a big, a big part of it is just, you know, the more you can communicate the better, but also just being very clear on, um, you know, we sort of started saying this phrase that is now, um, you know, one of our company values, um, the term desired outcome. So we try to, you know, have each, you know, meeting or conversation of saying, okay, what's the desired outcome? Now let's, let's talk about how to get there. Cause sometimes it's so easy when there's a million different things going on to get lost. I mean, this is a dumb example, but you know, if you say, Hey, you know, you want to <clears throat> like, I think we should change, you know, X, Y, Z of this feature. Um, well, he could be thinking about it and giving ideas because he thinks it should be to improve the UX, for example, right? And, and I'm coming at it because we had our largest customer made, you know, a special feature request. And so he's looking at me like, well, what you're telling me is not maybe the best UX, but I'm doing it as a customer, you know, response. So being very clear on, okay, why are we going to make this change? The desired outcome is because, you know, this, this large customer needs it to change X, Y, Z so they can, you know, accomplish some internal goal. Then it's like, great, we're all aligned on that. Now let's figure out how to achieve that. So um, having that sort of desired outcome focus has been really helpful in terms of just defining the communication. And we found that as soon as we started doing that, you know, we work really well together solving it, but it's how do you, how do you work together if you're both, you know, trying to go to two different destinations? So sort of over communicating that piece. And, and we do that now in, in all areas of the company, you know, if it's a new marketing campaign, not even, you know, if I'm working some with Sean, it's like, okay, well, what's, you know, what's the desired outcome here? Is it to get, you know, brand new leads or is it for, you know, brand awareness or retard, you know, and being very specific about, you know, what we're trying to achieve. And that makes, you know, the communication way easier. But a lot of it's just time working together. You know, Sean and I are much better business partners now than we were a year ago and especially five years ago um, because you figure out each other's preferences and nuances. It's like any, you know, I think any good or bad, you know, romantic relationship, right? Hopefully over time you get better and better and you don't fight as much and you learn, you know, how to deal with each other. And if it's a bad relationship, that probably increases. So I think it's being very intentional about that. 
Awesome. Well, that's a great insight into to the journey you guys have been on so far. Uh, but you did mention you, you got back and you started Pearly in February 2020, which was a very strange time in our recent history uh, due to the pandemic. So how did that sort of impact uh, the, the beginnings of the product itself? Um, fortunately, you know, it was we were, I'd say, lucky in terms of the timing where, you know, obviously the most of the dental industry was, you know, closed down, but we were in writing the first line of code, figuring out what we wanted to build. So it actually kind of gave us the opportunity to just like put our head down at our houses and, and build for a very long time. And then, um, you know, when we were kind of starting to work with our first initial customers and, you know, COVID had, you know, it had begun opening up a bit more. So for us, you know, I think it, um, you know, we were, we were fortunate and, and I mean, just, you know, obviously dumb luck in terms of the timing where if we had, you know, maybe started a year earlier and we're sort of in growth initial customer mode, and then we were, you know, dealing with all the challenges of COVID that would have been hard, but, you know, during um, sort of the, the, the peak, you know, largest lockdown stages of, of COVID, we, di we didn't have any customers. So <laughs> we, were, we were just building the, the MVP. All right. Uh, and I guess it, it would be helpful to have a little timeline here. So how long did it take from sort of you both decided to start working on the idea to getting the first version of the product out? Um, so as I kind of mentioned earlier, it was a little different because we were working kind of on a more specific, almost like kind of custom software build type project for a, a you know, dental consultant. Um, so I'd say that probably, you know, a you know, kind of that, that summer after we had completed that sort of, you know, June, July, 2020 was probably um, when we started having our first couple customers get on, but it was pretty slow because we were still working on, um, you know, this side project. And then, you know, really sort of, I'd say kind of through the end of 2020, you know, spring of 2021 was really when we started ramping um, a little bit more. And then, you know, only about a year ago, a year and a half ago, um, we started uh, I guess, uh, probably almost two years ago. We started working with um, some larger dental groups and things like that. So it was a little different where we didn't sort of, you know, kind of go about it saying, oh, we're going to build this to bring to market. We kind of had almost like this consulting side project to kind of get us into the industry. And then we said, OK, now that that's completed, you know, let's, um, you know, kind of move on our own way. Very cool. And. I guess after the successful exit with PATH, what made you confident that the Parallax team was the, the right technical partner for Pearly as well? Yeah, I mean, really just the people you guys are able to recruit. Um, I think that's really what it comes down to. You know, we're, you know, I don't know, maybe a little different than some of your other clients, but because we have, you know, Sean and he actually did, for this time around, he, he you know, did sort of the full, MVP himself before we had engaged Paralec this time around, but we, you know, sort of knew that, um, you know, we had an amazing experience working with Paralec at, um, you know, Path and let's, you know, when we were sort of ready to start scaling it, um, you know, we knew that the Paralec would be a great partner. So we did look at, you know, a few different other options, people locally, that kind of thing. But, you know, we, you know, reached out to Paralec again and said, hey, you know, do you have any good candidates? We were fortunately able to, you know, interview and find some really great folks. I think we have uh, four um, engineers from Parallax right now on our team. And um, 
you know, really just, I think, you know, high quality engineers who can jump in, you know, very early. Um, and, um, you know, we really try to treat them, you know, as part of the team, like have them, you know, have everyone on quarterly meetings and, um, you know, Sean has done an amazing job, you know, um, you know, working with, with the Parallax folks and managing them in terms of, you know, not all, you know, we, we really don't treat it like, you know, here's a spec, do it, right? It's, hey, here's a spec, let's collaborate on the best way to do it. You know, we want, um, you know, our team members and especially Sean wants, um, you know, the engineers to be telling him, hey, the way that, you know, you wrote the spec out is maybe not as efficient as it could be. Um, and so, you know, just long-term relationship, I think there's, um, you know, so many different, you know, options and engineering type, you know, outsource firms. Um, but we had obviously, you know, worked with Parallect for a long time and um, ended up bringing, you know, continuing to work with them, you know, after the company was acquired. So, you know, I think it really just comes down to you guys are able to find great, smart people. Um, and, you know, we sort of know there's a level of, um, especially early on when, you know, we don't want to spend, when it's only a couple person company, we, we can't go and spend, you know, two months just recruiting and interviewing because, you know, we're trying to build an initial company. So, you know, we found that, um, you know, when Parallel would bring us, you know, candidates, um, you know, there were, you know, already generally high quality. And then it was just kind of finding the right fit. All right. So let's get into the go to market strategy a little bit while we still have some time. Uh, you mentioned that you were kind of doing a custom solution for one dental outfit, but uh, what were some other highlights from your go-to-market with Pearly? Yeah, so you know we we try a bunch of different stuff. Um, I think early on, you know, we were reaching and out, having you know, taking dentists to lunch, talking to you know offices, doing pretty um, you know more kind of non-scalable type things, and that really helped getting a few of our early customers. Um, and then you know really just you know, for our first customer was a dental office down in San Diego. You know, I went down there, did in-office training, you know, all of that type of stuff. And, you know, then really leveraging the success of the product to say, hey, do you know any other, um, you know, do you have any other dental folks? Or through some of our consultants, they said, hey, it works with one of your clients. Maybe you should think about another client. So that was definitely a big um, part of it. And I'd say, you know, what we really focused on is, you know, for the for our early customers, we really want to deliver such a great experience and get a case study. Um, you know, and actually have a you know a case study. So then, for the next you know customer, it gets easier. Um, so we were mainly you know primarily working with um, you know individual dental offices, and the real um, sort of switch is when you know we worked with our first DSO, which um, you know think about it like a multi-location dental group. There's there's various ways they're structured. Um, and we really thought, well, these larger groups, you know, they probably have more of the revenue cycle figured out and dialed in. And in some cases, the answer to that's yes, but in other cases, no, because they're scaling and they're growing. There's different practice management softwares. So after working with our first, um, I mean, this was a small one. It was like a six location dental group. Um, we were, you know, there, we were able to have a lot of success. So we sort of changed our strategy a bit instead of focusing on individual um, you know, private practices, really working with more groups. And we were able to get a few sort of industry leading groups on early on. And that sort of then, you know, helped fuel the, 
you know, the VP of revenue cycle management, you know, have heard about us or, you know, they changed companies and wanted to bring Pearly in. So that's sort of, you know, in the past year or so, that's really been an important flywheel kind of driving it where, you know, we were able to get referenceable names. We we're able to show real success, show real results um, and kind of getting, you know, I think the hardest part of a new company is, especially for, for us, you know, when you're dealing with patient billing, you're dealing with very sensitive data, you're dealing with very sensitive operations, you're dealing with, you know, in my opinion, one of the more important pieces of, of a business, you're dealing with the money. Um, so, you know, being able to, um, you know, get over the hump of demonstrating value and having referenceable customers and having that real trust into the product, that was a big thing for us. Um, in terms of kind of specifically reaching out, you know, I'd say kind of your typical B2B playbook of, you know, some digital marketing, content marketing, you know, direct cold outreach in terms of email, sales, you know, mail. Um, but really, uh, you know, I'd say the the kind of the big hurdle is when you can be talking to another similar customer and say, well, let me, you know, instead of let me tell you every feature, let me walk you through how we solved this, you know, pr uh, problem that you, the exact problem you have for another customer who looks just like you, who you recognize in the space. That's really, I think the biggest, um, you know, kind of the biggest shift. Very cool. And so let's jump a little bit into fundraising now. Uh, the fundraising environment for startups isn't great. It's definitely not what it was a couple of years ago. So do you have any advice for founders who are raising now in regards to, to pitching or finding a good investor and startup fit? Yeah, I mean, I've been through, you know, a few different cycles in terms of is, is it easy or, you know, hard. I think the, you know, the whatever kind of 2021 period was just like totally not reality. Um, and so I think that really it kind of comes back to even in PATH and my first company, you know, how we used to pitch when it wasn't, you know, just this, any kind of random app idea got, you know, $10 million, um, you know, really comes down to being very clear on your market you know, on your go-to-market strategy, and then ultimately like having, you know, a decently clear view of how you're going to get to that next milestone. Um, so I'd say, you know, if you're, you know, raising a pre-seed or a seed round, so much of it's the team. Um, and so being able to say, you know, hey, we've, you know, we've built another company, we've worked together, that obviously makes it way easier. But even for, you know, Path, our first one, it's, hey, we've known each other for a long time, we've worked together, you know, um, I think making as much traction as you can early on for Pearly, you know, we did end up raising money, but for the first year, you know, Sean and I just bootstrapped it. Um, and I think that gives you a very different, um, you know, mindset and being more efficient with capital. Um, so I think it obviously depends on, you know, what market and, and what stage you're at trying to raise money, but, you know, being able to have a kind of concise and compelling story about, you know, what, what the problem is. Um, that's really what I've always focused on is, you know, is this problem acute or significant enough, you know, because it's hard to get people to change, you know, anything. <laughs> um, and so, you know, if it's, Hey, here's this, um, thing that's going to marginally help you, you know, that's going to be much more difficult. I found that when you dig into, you know, the more challenging problems, um, oftentimes, you know, your MVP works better because even though it doesn't have all the bells and whistles, 
you're at least solving a problem that really matters and the bar is a little lower versus if you're trying to be, you know, the sexiest new consumer app, like that's really hard because people aren't going to change behaviors, you know, oftentimes for something that's like, you know, only a couple percent better, right? So that's, I, I'd say that, you know, think about the problem and the team that you're solving. And like, as you get into the industry, you know, you're, you know, your, your, your product, your market, you know, may shift, pivot, change a lot. Um, but if you can really focus on that problem and then dig into it. So, if, you know, for us with Pearly, we really looked and we said, you know, the revenue cycle piece of the dental industry, you know, that the financial experience side, you know, we, we think that is, is pretty broken and pretty and too complex and pretty hairy. Now, because it is a big problem, there's a lot of things that, you know, we're able to have on our roadmap that we haven't done yet, but we were able to say, okay, well, let's dive into then like a very solvable piece. So for us specifically, how can we help, you know, the AR collection issue? And then by really diving into that and, you know, then we get in there with the customer, um, you know, then we're able to work with them on other areas that they may have not, you know, bought us. Like we have, for example, an online payment portal that you put on the website. It's pretty, it works great. There's a lot of online payment portals is having a, you know, slightly more user-friendly and modern online payment portal, um, you know, going to move the needle for um, a customer? No, but once they're already using our system to collect AR and we're solving that really painful point, then it makes sense for them to, you know, manage more of their payments on our platform. And that's, you know, an easier conversation to have. So I'd say that, you know, pitching, if I was, you know, going out and raising money, it's just the more concise and kind of clear you can be on the story, on the problem. And hey, here's, you know, our, our at least V1 strategy of going to market and working with it. But I'd say that, you know, I'd to get as far as you possibly can without raising money. Because the story is very different of I have this idea to, hey, you know, for us, it was we've been building this out. We've been seeing a lot of success. We need to hire more people to support this growth, right? That's a very different conversation than, I have a new idea for this widget. I have no idea if it's going to work or not, but why don't you throw money at it? You know, that's, that's, and, and I think about it too. I've invested in some other startups and I try to think about it like what I, you know, make sure that I would invest in, in what I'm pitching, hearing myself saying. It sounds like Pearly's on a great path. Uh, what do, what does success look like for Pearly in the next year or so? Really just continuing to, um, I'd say kind of two things, you know, for us, it's expanding the number of offices that we're, you know, working with, and that's been going really well. Um, but I'd say the second big piece for us in, you know, six to 12 months, we have a lot of really exciting products coming out where, you know, I'd say over the last year, we've been focused, you know, a bit more on scaling the platform, on expanding, um, you know, the current usage in terms of just improving things like reporting and enterprise management as we've worked with larger and larger dental groups, kind of going from our first one at six locations to now our largest one is 153 locations. Um, so there's been a lot of growth there, but really, you know, in the next six to 12 months, um, we're really excited about being able to solve more problems within the revenue cycle. So we have, you know, um, basically different things that customers have asked and we're really going to be doing um, a big push to, you know, be able to support really from pre-visit during the visit to post-visit, you know, really becoming that sort of full end-to-end patient revenue and cycle management system and also potentially getting into insurance. So I'd say it's really, 
um, you know, expanding the, you know, the pie, how I look at our, at our roadmap typically is, you know, your average dental practice, there's, you know, there's an amount of, you know, revenue they make each month, a portion of that's insurance, a portion of that's patient. Within patient, there's a lot of different areas in terms of treatment financing, you know, in-office co-pays, post-visit billing, you know, memberships. Um, on the insurance side, there's many different aspects. And so, you know, our goal is really to, um, how can we, you know, help automate and streamline more areas of that revenue cycle management that our customers have been asking about it. Um, so hopefully, you know, this time next year, um, you know, we're, we're able to, you know, be able to help with a larger, you know, uh, or I'd say a, a wider range of that revenue cycle. Um, and that's really for, for us a big, you know, focus since we've expanded to so many locations quickly now it's okay. How else can we help? Very cool. Well, it sounds like, uh, you have a clear vision and you're well on your way to achieving it. And I hope that uh, all your patients and all your customers are happy with what we've built together and what you guys continue to, to share with the um, industry there. So uh, that's all the questions I have for you. You have anything else you want to share with uh, the listeners? No, thank you so much for the time. And, you know, Parallax has been a great partner and we've, you know, had a, had a, a very long, I guess, probably almost seven, eight years of working together. So look forward to continuing to build great things and hopefully um you know other folks who are listening to this want to go out and build and, and solve real problems awesome well thank you so much for your time jeff and have a wonderful friday and a great weekend thank you